Okay, are you guys ready? Have you read or heard, I love you, stinky face? No, you're about to. All right, here we go. This book is called, I love you, stinky face. I love you, my wonderful child, said mama as she tucked me in. But I had a question. Mama, what if I were a big, scary ape? Would you still love me then? If you were a big, scary ape, I would comb your whole hairy self to make sure you didn't have any tangles. And I would make your birthday cake out of bananas. And I would tell you, I love you, my big, scary ape. But mama, but mama, what if I were a super smelly skunk and I smelled so bad that my name was Stinky Face? (laughs) Then I would give you a bath and sprinkle you with sweet-smelling powder. And if you still smelled bad, I wouldn't mind. And I would hug you tight and whisper in your ear, I love you, Stinky Face. But mama, but mama, what if I were an alligator with big, sharp teeth that could bite your head off? Then I would buy you a bigger toothbrush for your big teeth (laughs) and make sure that you brush them every night so they'd stay healthy and strong. And if you had a sore throat, I would stick my head right inside your enormous jaws to make sure you were okay. And I would say, I love you, my ferocious alligator. But mama, what if I were a terrible meat-eating dinosaur with razor-sharp claws that ripped my sheets to shreds every night while I slept? Then I would give you plenty of meat to eat, if that is what you liked. And I would sew your sheets back together every day because, after all, ripping them would be an accident. And I would tuck you into your newly mended sheets every night and say, I love you, my sweet, terrible dinosaur. But mama, but mama, what if I were a swamp creature with slimy, smelly seaweed hanging from my body and I couldn't ever leave the swamp or I would die? Then I would build a house right next to the swamp and I would stay with you and take care of you always. And when you splash to the surface, I would say, I love you, my slimy little swamp monster. (laughs) But mama, but mama, What if I were a green alien from Mars and I ate bugs instead of peanut butter? You guys wouldn't want that, would you? No. Then I would dress you in colors that showed off your nice green skin. And I would pack your lunchbox with beetles and spiders and ants and grasshoppers and the tastiest bugs you ever had. And I would pack a note with all the bugs that said, I love you, little greenie. Bon appetit. But mama... But mama, what if I were a cyclops and I had just one big gigantic eye in the middle of my head? That would be a bummer. (laughs) Then I would look right into your gigantic eye and say, I love you, my little cyclops. And I would sing you a lullaby until your one gigantic eyelid got droopier and droopier and it finally closed and you fell fast asleep. I love you, mama. And I love you, my wonderful child. 
Okay, so here's a question I have for you guys. The first question is, in that story, how does the mama show that she loves her little child? What does she do to show that? Who's got a good answer for me? What do you think? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I see that hand. She would show him every way that she would take care of him. That's right. She showed him in every way that she would take care of him, no matter what, huh? That's what a good mama does. They take care of you no matter what. Oh. They're stinky. Yes, they're stinky, even when they're stinky. Okay, now, I've got another question. How do your parents... How do your parents show you that they love you? What do they do to help you know they love you? They slime. What's that? Slime. They slime? Okay. How about you, Zoe? What else? How do your parents show you that they love you? What do they do? Yeah. You love them. You love them, yes. What else? How do they show you? What do they do? They have to take care of themselves. Yeah, they have to take care of you. What else? What do your parents show you? How do they show you that they love you? What do they do? They kiss us. Oh, yeah. Because the face is really stinky. Because the face is really stinky. Yeah, they love you even when you're stinky, and sometimes you are, aren't you? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know what? Sometimes when we love someone... It's more than just saying, I love you. It's doing whatever it takes to show somebody that we love them. Sometimes love is action, isn't it? Here's what I want you to do. Here's your next action. You guys are awesome. Thanks for coming up here. High five somebody next to you. Oh, there we go. High five somebody next to you. Now I want you to head back to your seat and go show your mom and dad you love them by giving them a big hug. Can we give these guys a hand right here? Next time. You know what I love? Jeff, Jeff Brown. I love Jeff Brown. That's a good-looking fellow right there. Great worship leader, Jeff Brown, everybody. <clears throat> hey, one kind of fun thing is to think that those little people that were just sitting up here on that stage, right there be great, brother, um, they're going to be standing up here. They're the ones that are going to be speaking. They're the ones that are going to be leading worship someday. I mean, it's so cool to think that those people right there are the ones that are going to be leading this church that is awesome. Thanks for bringing them. Thanks for having them be a part of this fellowship. Well, without a doubt, love has got to be bigger than those three words that we say. In fact, I would say this. In the culture that we live in, sometimes those words, I love you, have been thrown out so much that we almost forget what they really mean. We almost forget what that really looks like. That we all know that love has got to be more than a few words. It's got to be lived out. We don't just tell people we love them. We show people we love them. And I've got a hunch that as you walked in here this morning, as you walk in here, some of you week after week, you're hoping to experience a love with God, a love with each other that really, truly changes us. That we wouldn't just keep walking in and out of here looking the same, but we would actually walk out being a little bit different. I want to be able to share about a love like that today, a love that really and actually changes people, that people can be different. A love that changes families, that families that walk in here, families that experience this fellowship, this real life could actually walk out with a new direction for their family. A love that changes campuses. 
that makes campuses come alive in a whole new way that looks nothing like the world and a lot like real life, a love that changes cities, that people that would be in this place, Salem, the city of Shalom, Shalom just doesn't mean peace like we're okay with each other. Shalom has this depth of wholeness, of lives being put back together again, of people living what Jesus said, life to the full, that that would happen right here because of that kind of love. I really hope you believe in that kind of love because that's the one I want to talk about this morning. And it's a story that we dive into with a, a man that many of you know. Here's a couple things that we need to know about him. One, he had a lot, but there was still an empty piece inside of him. We know that he was short. The Bible didn't call many people short, so we know that must be significant. We know that he was rich. He had a lot of wealth, and we also know how he got it. This guy was the chief tax collector. He worked for the government. He was the president, the CEO, the top dog on collecting taxes for the entire city of Jericho where he lived. We also know that the way that he got wealthy is that as he collected taxes, he would line his pockets with some of the money that people had. He would take more than he was supposed to. He was a thief and he was hated in that town. But we also know that he wanted to see Jesus. There was something about this man, a love that he heard about that could really and actually change people and ripple into a town and change a community. So Luke 19, you know him. Many of you know him. His name is Zacchaeus. Now, here's what happens. Zacchaeus hears about Jesus coming to his town, his town of Jericho. Now, Zacchaeus was short. So wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd around him. And Zacchaeus knew knew, as as a short man, there was no way that he was going to be able to get in and pick his way through that crowd. Not only that, but the crowd that was there was a crowd that hated him. Those were the very people that he'd been stealing from for a long time. But Zacchaeus must have been smart. Because Zacchaeus looks at where the crowd is coming from. He surveys all of Jericho. He knows where every parade and every progression comes through that town. And he looks ahead and he sees the crowd. He figures out, yeah. This is, this is definitely the way that Jesus is going to be coming. And he runs with his short little legs all the way down, and he climbs up a tree, a sycamore fig tree. The great thing, Zacchaeus was very fortunate that a sycamore fig tree was the one that was next to him because they have very low branches. And as he climbed up that tree, he waited for Jesus. It says this, as Jesus made his way through Jericho, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich, He tried to get a look at Jesus, wanted to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. I can imagine him getting all settled in, and as he's he's settling in, he's looking off in the distance, and even maybe just, Osha wouldn't be excited about this, but I'm okay with it. He would be peeking out, are they coming yet? And he can hear the sound in the distance. He can hear the rumble of the voices. And as people get closer, he can see some of the faces, some of the faces of the very people that he'd been ripping off for the last several years. And he's trying to figure out, Jesus didn't have a Facebook page. He didn't know what he looked like, okay? So he's trying to figure out which one of those in the crowd is actually Jesus. I've only heard about him. And as the crowd gets closer and it gets louder and his heart starts to beat faster and faster, he realizes that's, that's the one. It's the one in the middle. Jesus is the one in the middle. He's the one that everybody is looking at. He's the one that everybody is focused on. He's the one that I came to see. And as he gets closer, I can imagine Zacchaeus actually hiding a little bit. Like hiding, pulling back, right? Like in that tree. Because he wants to see Jesus, but he knows his past. 
I'm not sure that he wants Jesus to see him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever like, okay, I want to get a peek at him, but I don't want them to see me. You know you've done that. So there he is. He's hiding. It's getting closer, and he's excited. His eyes are big. His heart is beating fast, and all of a sudden, the crowd is right in front of him, and now it's right under his tree, and he's so excited, and suddenly everything stops. And the crowd wonders, why did Jesus stop? What's going on? And suddenly, Jesus' head turns, and his eyes lock with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus can't hide any more. The rest of the crowd follows the head of Jesus, and their heads turn as well, and they see Zacchaeus. They see the one that they despise up in the tree. You can hear the grumble ripple through that crowd as they're angry and upset. Why would Jesus stop to talk to this man? But Jesus sees through all the stuff on the outside of Zacchaeus' life and right into his heart. See, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Love showed up at the bottom of the tree. The rest of the people there were saying, they were thinking, yeah, Jesus is finally going to give Zacchaeus what he deserves. It's about time somebody set him straight. Bring the lightning bolts, Jesus. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're hoping for. But Jesus sees so much more. And when he looks at you, he sees your heart too. He sees that you are so much more than your motivations, whether they're good or bad. You're more than your bank account. You're more than your job title. You're more than your age. And you're more than your marital status. He peeks through your eyes and mine, and he peeks right into our heart. And what he sees is what Psalm 139 describes as we were put together in our mother's womb, each and every one. God, with a smile, with joy, put us together. He looks into our heart, and he looked into the heart of Zacchaeus, and he sees one who is made in the image of God. There is so much more to Zacchaeus, so much more to you and me than people see on the outside. So much more to even what we see when we look in the mirror at ourselves. There is way, way more. The people grumbled, but Jesus did this. He says, Zacchaeus, and calls him by name. And he must have seen love in the eyes of Jesus because it says that he quickly climbed down the tree. He climbed down the tree, and with great excitement and joy, he took Jesus to his house. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Like, Jesus, what were you doing? You're supposed to be with the pastors and the teachers. Like, Jesus, if you're going to stop in our town, why don't you put on a conference and bring everybody in? But he stops at the tree of a broken man and sees much more than a broken man. He sees an opportunity for love to ripple out through this person and change not only his life, but change families and change an entire city. Isn't it funny that when we want to do outrageous acts of love for people like Zacchaeus, folks grumble. Folks complain. The voices of fear and doubt and grumbling try to steal away acts of outrageous love every time. But with Jesus by his side, Zacchaeus is not deterred. The people are grumbling. Verse 8 it says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. 
He ignored the voices of fear and doubt, voices that could have told him this, you're just a new believer. Like, don't you think that's a little overzealous? Zacchaeus, you can't do this and make up for all your past mistakes. Zacchaeus, you're just trying to bring all the attention to yourself. Every one of those voices could have stopped him in his tracks, but it didn't. He ignored voices of fear and doubt, and he chose outrageous love. Half of everything he's got. You know what that meant for Jericho? That meant an orphanage for kids who had no parents. That meant food for people who had no food. That meant clothing for the needy. That may have even meant something like, I don't know, a free medical clinic. What a cool idea. Outrageous love. The next thing he does is this. He says, Lord, if I've cheated people out of anything on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Can you imagine the IRS coming to you and saying, hey, here's the deal. We blew it. We took, uh, over the last three years, we took 10 grand too much from you. And we we're just, could we give you $40,000 back? Can you imagine that? That's what was happening. And people's jaws dropped because outrageous love showed up at the bottom of that tree. Outrageous love expressed itself through that man. And the kind of love that I was talking about, the kind of love that I absolutely believe in, changed a man that day. It changed everybody around him that day. That whole town, families changed. That story, I guarantee you, it went out to the town of Jericho. People were talking. And they didn't just want to know who Zacchaeus was. They wanted to know who is this man that can make things like this happen. Who is this man filled with love that shows up and changes everything? Jesus responds this way. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, as I read the Bible, I thought, why did this story make it in? Why did this one make it in? Because John 21, 25 tells us this, that, man, if we wrote down every story of every great thing that Jesus did in someone's life, every miracle, even the whole world, couldn't hold the books that would be written, but this one made it in. I think it made it in because, one, it's a great story but I think it made it in because it shows that we, say, we can say no to fear and doubt, yes to outrageous acts of love, and that changes people, and that changes families, and that changes cities. That rewrites people's stories. So I wonder, what stories are you gonna be telling this year? What stories are you gonna be telling in your marriage? What stories are you gonna be telling in your school? What stories are you gonna be telling on your campus? What stories are you gonna be telling at your workplace? What stories are you gonna be telling and how is love gonna show up through you? Because the voices of fear and doubt, and you know you have them and I know I have them, try to steal that away. They try to keep us from diving into extravagant acts of love. And I'm convinced that every single one of us, there isn't one that God didn't say, okay, the guy that's sitting way in the back on the upper balcony, I forgot about him. But everybody else I'm going to do crazy things through. Like every single one of us, I think God looks and he says, I see more in you than you even see in yourself. The idea that God would believe in us more than we believe in us. And that God could do more through us than we even think is possible to do through us is unbelievable. I'm convinced God has some stories for us to tell. I wanna share um, three stories of God's extravagant love, three stories that I've been able to be a part of, and I'm gonna have some pictures up here on the, on the back screen. These are stories that 
<clears throat> said no to fear and doubt, and yes to outrageous acts of love. Uh, the first one is this, uh, and these two pictures are, are gonna go together. You'll understand it in just a minute. Uh, I got to do a week of camp this summer with a team of high school and college students right here from Sam Alliance for Syrian refugees. Syrian refugees that have been pouring in from Syria and landing in Jordan, and uh, they said, man, we've got to figure out a way to love and care for these kids. So a group of high school and college, you would be so proud. You would be so proud of our Sam Alliance high school and college folks because they loved with extravagance and they were the hands and feet of Jesus to Syrian refugee kids. Uh, two of the kids that we just fell in love, this is Dahlia and Ahmed. Dahlia is a 14-year-old little girl and Ahmed's 10 and that's a brother and sister. And behind those smiles, the smiles that came about as we sang and taught English and played and laughed and shared the love of Christ with them, we saw those smiles, but then we heard the story behind the smiles. Three weeks before that picture was taken, their house was destroyed. Their family scattered. They scrambled across the border. And before they'd scrambled across the border, Dahlia said, I had a bomb land next to me and it didn't go off. God must have something for me. We had a team uh, and we connected with a church over there that helped them be kids again. Help them laugh again. Help them experience joy again. Help them have hope again. But you need to know to make a trip like that happen, it takes a fair amount of resources. Our team of eight had to raise $28,000. And as we were raising our money, on trips like this, sometimes you just hit a point of discouragement and you're waiting for love to show up. And I was up front at our, our college group meets at 9.30 over at Faith Annex. And um, I was up front and I had a music stand just like this. And I'd walked away from my music stand to get my customary cup of coffee. And when I came back, there was a white envelope on the music stand that was not there before. In pencil, scrawled across, said, this is for the Jordan trip. An anonymous college student had put an envelope up here. And as I picked it up, it was obvious that it had money and it was pretty thick. And I thought, it's a college student. There's probably a lot of ones in there. You know, I mean, like their tip money from Red Robin or whatever. I don't know. Um, I didn't think a lot, of, a lot of it. And I grabbed that, and I took it back to my office, and I opened it up. And the first thing I saw was a 20. And then I saw another one. And then I saw another one. And then when I was done counting, there were 75 $20 bills. And the single biggest gift from any one person to make that trip happen was an anonymous college student that gave $1,500. That's worth a clap. <clears throat> no tax deduction, no credit. It didn't matter. They didn't even know that that was going to help make Dahlia and Ahmed's life different. And again, there's a team of people following up with Dahlia and Ahmed right now that are continuing to walk with them and walk with their family and help them know and experience the love of Christ. Love showed up through a college student who didn't even want their name mentioned. Uh, my daughter, Gracelyn, is six. <clears throat> and we have a routine every night when we go to bed of read, sing, pray. I've got three daughters, six, four, and three. Uh, so if you're in that boat, pray for me. Uh, and I'll probably come to you for advice later. Uh, they're awesome. Uh, they're beautiful. Uh, but <clears throat> before we started our read, sing, and pray, Gracelyn and I were watching a little bit of TV and a commercial came on, one that a lot of you guys have seen. And it's, it showed a kid in Africa, a malnourished kid in Africa. And as we were processing what we had we had seen, uh, things went quiet for a while. We brushed our teeth, we read, we sang, and it came time to pray. And she says, Daddy, uh, those kids that we saw, they, they don't have mommies and daddies? And I said, no, honey. 
She says, um, they don't have food? I said, no, honey, they don't, they don't have food. And this is what I love about kids and kids' stories is they're not rational. She goes, well, maybe we could give them some of our food. <laughs> doubt creeps in, right? Dad doubt creeps in because she doesn't know, well, okay, they're 7,000 miles away and da-da-da-da. So I'm humoring her. And I says, well, they live a long ways away, sweetheart. She goes, undeterred. <laughs> maybe we could get in a plane and fly over there. <clears throat> doubt is creeping in. But I had to flip that around because usually we say why we shouldn't and why we can't. And I thought, how can we? How can we put food and care in the hands of a kid in Africa? And I know you've seen all kinds of programs. But what I want you to hear is through a five-year-old, when I stopped and stopped saying why we can't and started asking the question, how can we and how can we take the next step? It caused our family of five to get together the next night at dinner and say, what are we going to do about this? We've seen it. What are we going to do about it? And so we got in contact with a good friend of mine, Bob Goff, who runs a ministry called Restore International. He's got a great book out called Love Does, if you want to read it. It just so happens that they're rescuing kids in Africa, in Uganda, out of situations like uh, Joseph Kony, maybe some of you have heard that, just horrific situations. They're educating them, clothing them, feeding them, helping them learn and love and follow Jesus, and they're raising them up to go to college and be the next group of leaders in the country of Uganda. So this is Kaveen. When we took that picture, she was 14. She's 16 now, and her dream is to be a lawyer and a leader for Christ in Uganda. Now, I know that her and our family are inextricably linked together because a five-year-old decided to not pay attention to the borders that we put around And instead of saying, we can't, we started to say, how can we? And our dream now is to fly over there in two years and take our family for her graduation. Love shows up. Love shows up and a family in Oregon has changed and a girl in Africa has changed. And who knows how that will ripple out. Just when you're thinking you got to have money, you don't. Here's my next story and the last one that I'll close with. Uh, This is Pascal and Tyrone. Uh, Pascal is the lady. She's 50 years old. She was hit by a drunk driver and became a paraplegic from the waist down. She used to love watching her kids surf, and she dreamed of surfing one day. Well, with the paralysis of her legs, she thought, I'll never be able to surf. And then her two sons and their friend Tyrone got together, and Tyrone is an unbelievable surfer, and they said, dude, we can make this happen. Like, usually when guys get together and they start thinking like that, it doesn't turn out good, you know? (laughs) But this one turns out good. And he goes, we can make this happen. Uh, And despite the voices of fear and doubt were very loud from a lot of people. They said, how are we gonna make this work? What's the next step? So they went down to Kmart, They bought a backpack at Kmart and they cut two holes in the bottom of the backpack for her legs. They bought multiple rolls of duct tape. (laughs) They got a guy on uh, like a sea-doo out there just to be, you know, safe in case something happened. And I can tell you this right here, you can't quite tell, that is Pascal on Tyrone's back surfing a wave. Saying no to fear and doubt and instead saying how can we? You know, it's so funny because when we start to experience fear and doubt, we, we come up with all the reasons why we shouldn't. We come up with all the reasons why we can't. And then, you know what we do? We run scenarios in our head, don't we? And do those scenarios typically turn out good or bad? Bad. And that's why we always, that's what fear and doubt do. But when we ignore fear and doubt and choose outrageous acts of love and trust Jesus anyway with the opportunities that he brings across our plate. Love shows up and the ripple effect, you can't even fathom. We can't even count. 
I want you to consider as the opportunities, as you keep your eyes open for people in the tree. As you keep your eyes open, as you listen to children, I'm telling you, I was taught a lesson that day, we need to listen to kids. And if we listen to them with the right ears, there is unbelievable things to be found. They're not bound by the reality that we've constructed. And all of a sudden, that launches us into outrageous acts of love that changes people's lives. And I believe that's there for every single one of us. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He has got some unbelievable stuff planned for you and your family and your friendships and your campus and this city. And I gotta say this, I don't have all this figured out and I know there is hundreds of more stories right here that we could celebrate and I wanna keep celebrating those. We have an unbelievably generous and healthy and amazing group of people right here at this church. But I also know that it's every one of us that's invited to this. There isn't one that's left out. There is nobody left in the tree that Jesus walked on by. Every one of us has been seen. Love showed up at the bottom of that tree. Love showed up through a crooked thief to bless an entire community. Love showed up through an anonymous college student. Love showed up through the mouth and imagination of a five-year-old. And love showed up through a backpack and duct tape. And it can show up through you. As Jeff and the worship team come up, I want you to be thinking and praying in this next song. How is it that love might show up through you this fall? I would be willing to bet, I would bet money on the fact that there's somebody in here, you've already got somebody in your mind. There's a neighbor, there's a family member, there's a friend. Because when our eyes are open, as we're walking and looking, there are outrageous acts of love. And when we say no to fear and doubt, and those voices can be so loud, and they have no weight and no power. And just to say, what's the next step?